Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode four of College Football Throwdown. I'm your co-host, Alex Schmitz, and with me here today is my dad, Peter Schmitz. Hello. <laughs> yes, you might be, he might sound a little bit different to you than last time. Uh, I have uh, moved out to L.A. to pursue a new job opportunity I received just a week ago, and so we're going to be doing most of these podcasts probably uh, from long distance from now on. I have my dad recording on Skype on my computer uh, and we're going to test how this goes you know work out the bugs as we go along but i think this method should work for us outstanding i'm excited and <laughs> good job alex you're out of the house <laughs> oh you wanted me out i see how it is <laughs> no i miss you already all right well for those who haven't heard listened to our podcast before uh this is college football throwdown we are a College football podcast by college football fans for college football fans. Father-son duo tackling this uh, wonderful sport that we love. And uh, we're going to divide our discussions into uh, national topics, Big Ten topics, and then team-specific topics. For us, this would be Nebraska, uh, the Nebraska Cornhuskers, which is, of course, my dad and I's favorite team. Uh, And we're going to start our discussion today with some discussion about the Uh, media days that have been going on several of the conferences has been doing these over the past two weeks and there have been some interesting news that have popped out from them right outstanding yes so far uh as of this evening anyway we're uh we're looking at uh, already we've seen the sec media days the big 12 media days and acc media days have transpired as well i believe so so now it's it's on to the Big Ten here later this week, but uh, there's it's been kind of uneventful, frankly, as far as what's taken place. There's not been any real big bombshell type information mm-hmm. that has come out of the media days. Uh, somewhat predictably, you know, who supposed to be or expected to be, you know, the uh, the media favorites has pretty much come to pass. Although there was a couple of interesting things out of the SEC. One of them being that Alabama received more first place votes than Auburn for winning their division. But let me see. I, I may be getting that wrong. I think I think uh, Auburn was picked to win the division, but Alabama had more overall votes to win the conference or something like that. So there was kind of this in- interesting twist because when you let folks vote, you know, and they get the opportunity to kind of pick first and second, then depending on how many people end up with the, uh, you know, second on the ballot can kind of change up those uh, those rankings. And so they did have that odd little quirk uh, with their conference media poll. That's interesting. Is Auburn expected to kind of bounce back this year? They they are expected to be very good this year. Yes, I mean they had a they had a, a, a good year with you know their young coach and now they have a new defensive coordinator. Actually, the the recently um, relieved coach from Florida, who was an outstanding defensive coordinator in a number of stops in his past, uh, uh, Will Muschamp, has moved over to Auburn and is now their coordinator, their defensive coordinator. Ah, that's cool. And wasn't there also um, 
the the commissioner of the Big Twelve at the media days talked about the expansion issue and basically said that they are perfectly content at where they are. Yes, they did say that, and and that seems to be the the continued uh, um, representation from the Big Twelve commissioner's office. But you can't ignore some of the conversations and the testing of the waters that seems to be going on at some of the institutions who are clearly expressing their interest or at least concern over the the long-term viability of the structure that they have and and the long-term expectations and and that's coming from conference school presidents you know like Oklahoma and mm-hmm. West Virginia so the bottom line is is that I don't know that everybody's on the same page and I don't believe that his comments, although it sounded like, you know, everybody was singing Kumbaya, that it's all perfect in, in Big 12 land. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I do think the commissioner is right in that you, they shouldn't judge, uh, make this important decision after just one year of the, you know, college football playoff. Oh, you me, know. Me, me too, Alex. In fact, I, uh, what people need to remember is that if if there had just been one change, if if Michigan State had beaten Ohio State, or even had the Michigan State Ohio State game been, you know, uh, a slobber knocker kind of ugly, you know, team or or game rather, that in all likelihood that might very well have led to two Big Twelve teams getting in to the playoff potentially. You know, so so they were they were very close to definitely getting one in, and because of the way that they did that co-champions thing, they might have even been able to find a way to slip two people or two teams in. So um, I I completely agree with the Big Twelve commissioner's feeling that he needs to wait and see. But I have a feeling that that they received a pretty clear message from the committee that mm-hmm. they would like to see them get a conference championship game yeah i definitely agree with that uh it seems like that 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 is an important factor amongst the different like sets of criteria that they have uh to consider right and uh, in general with the conference media days i'll tell you you know it's interesting how these things have evolved because they used to be very uh, obscure events but they have evolved into being a much bigger deal than what they used to be and uh to the point where it's almost a joke how much of a circus it has become in the sec and there is some question as to whether or not you know some of the other conferences who are trying to kind of keep up with the sec's uh level of interest you know are they are they trying too hard you know uh with all of this stuff because there's a a balance between are you are you just hyping things or is it really an opportunity for the media to do their jobs and get the kind of inside stories that they need, not just for the next story of tomorrow, but they should be accumulating data that they can use, frankly, throughout the season, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's certainly, you can definitely see a discrepancy there when you consider that the SEC media days are a full week long, whereas most others are a few days at most. Right, right. But, I, I you know, I think that... Uh, the the information that, that's kind of drawn out of them, especially in this now this newer day day and age of of all the internet media uh, 
and, and various websites that the information that's being shared there is not the shocking information that, that, that maybe was a part of the past. You know, per, for the most part, all these media types are following it with such close scrutiny that they pretty much know everything going into the media days, and now they're trying to find those small little kernels of things. And we'll maybe talk about that a little bit more as it relates to Nebraska. I think it, it becomes interesting when your team has a new coach or other really dramatic change of circumstance. Maybe you know a quarterback that's new and, and something big like that tends to be important to the media. <laughs> right. And uh, I want to change the discussion to a different topic here. But okay. before we do that, I thought you might uh, crack your beer that you have yes, there. Yes, I, I need to do that. Yep, yep. You don't have one on your end, huh? Not with me at the moment, no. Okay, well, we need to get on that. You know, you got to find the grocery stores there in L.A. Here's, here we go. I already have, actually. But um, <laughs> The next thing we wanted to talk about was uh, Steve Spurrier and his um, little press conference that he had a couple days ago that kind of uh, surprised some people with, I mean, it, I guess it wasn't, like, surprising because it was, like, a very Steve Spurrier thing to do, but it just sort of came up out of nowhere, didn't it? Well, it, it was. The timing was very odd because he had just been done with the, the media days, you know. And so he had had the attention of everyone to kind of say whatever he needed to say, and he could have done it then. But I think it was one of those things that really struck him maybe after he had left the media event, and it kind of started eating at his craw and, and bugging him a little bit. And then he started to read some of the immediate reactions from some of the media folks and the stories that were being written, and he just decided that he needed to step up and, and kind of clear the air about a few things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I thought it was an interesting um, kind of reflection on, because uh, like it, when I was listening to the discussion on Sirius XM radio, they were talking about how, you know, coaches always tell the players, like, not to read, you know, online message boards, you know, to try to keep everything inside insular, you know, to not let that affect you. But clearly, um, Spurrier is reading more of those articles than he might care to admit. Yes, that's always true. And I would say that that's true of a lot of coaches. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and, and especially Spurrier, because he's so media savvy, I think he always likes, it's almost a playful relationship that he has with the media. And, and so I think he was a little frustrated that, that the focus so quickly became what's wrong with South Carolina. You had one bad year and all of a sudden everybody's kind of speculating about your future and how much longer are you going to coach and that sort of stuff, which is totally legitimate because Steve Spurrier's like, I think 74, 75 years old. I don't know. I mean, he's, he's up there in age. And so it's like, you know, when are you going to retire type of thing? Right. But at the same I don't remember how old he is. Right. At the same time though, I remember during the his whole spiel, he kind of uh did this little self promotion thing where he's talking about like all the his records, you know, and all the things he's done for the program and they just had like an eleven win year like two years ago, didn't they? Yes. And and, and you know, that's where the the media's reaction to his little press conference was like, Hey, Steve, we know all that. You don't have to, you know, take us down memory lane. We we're aware of what you have accomplished, uh, you know, in your career. And they just found that to be a bit odd and self self-aggrandizing rather than getting to the real point, which was about this year's team. And 
he didn't talk about his team this year. He spent an awful lot of that conference, uh, a press conference, talking about himself and his past accomplishments, and that seemed a little weird. I don't know. It, it, from what I, I do remember, I mean, they definitely did talk about like the current team somewhat in his speech. Like, you know, we've got a good team this year. You know, we're focused on that. Blah blah blah. You know, just kind of typical talk. And uh, and then maybe this is different from the reaction of the general media. But like I said, I was just listening to Sirius. Sirius XM in the car, you know, I was stuck in traffic here in LA and uh, they were actually, one of their commentators was kind of like, I kind of like that he was like, you know, uh, uh, what's the word do you want to use? You oh, know, feisty or combative? Well, yeah, well, th- that he had that energy, but also that he was being a little like self-promoting, like not backing down from all the good that he's done for the university. You right, know? right. Like, like well, just I, trying I, to say I, that the media was overreacting to you know, uh, one I, bad season, basically. right? One bad yeah. season, and not. And I think what Spurrier was kind of ar- trying to argue, and this might be a little of a tougher thing to sell, is that you know there were plenty of other seven-win teams, you know, that were very happy with seven wins. You know, seven wins is in a terrible season, but the idea being that the expectation for South Carolina was a lot higher than that last year. Right. Exactly. Well, and and and, and that's because of him. So it's just it's just kind of a microcosm, I guess, of what those coaches go through, and the kind of constant media scrutiny that they're under, and it's what have you done for me lately? And you, if you wonder why, you know, these coaches tr- tend to be quite insulary in their choices and how they go about managing their program, it's because of this type of media reaction that they do that. I mean, that's a learned behavior because they don't want to have to deal with it. And he clearly wants to get rid of that, whatever that issue is, and get beyond it before he has uh, the beginning of his uh, fall camp. All right, and now we're going to transition into our discussion on the Big Ten. Um, I thought we would talk a little bit about the Big Ten media days since those are coming up here this week. Right. Now, so those are this Thursday and Friday, and it's going to be interesting because they have a new format this year. They're... They're dividing the teams up half and half, pretty much uh, half on Thursday, half on Friday. They've historically done all the teams on the first day and then had roundtable-type activities on the second day in, in past years. But now that they're at 14 teams, they've, they've recognized that they just can't get them all in and, along with all the other things that they try to do. They're still going to have the, the student speaker uh, and the luncheon and stuff, which has become a very popular thing that's part of the media days. And so that's still going to happen. But uh, it's just interesting to see. Uh, I'll be curious to find out how much new stuff actually comes out of these media days because with all the scrutiny and the day-to-day visibility that all these programs have, you know, other than the coaches maybe making some individual roster announcement or something like that that's been hidden under the wraps, I just wonder how many new things are going to be said. It almost becomes a question of, who performs well, which, which coaches and players do the best job of commanding the room and, and are dynamic in that environment. True, although this translates nicely into our uh, roster update discussion we want to have about the Big Ten because uh, with the whole Braxton Miller situation at Ohio State, I guarantee you that there are going to be reporters swarming all around Jim Tressel at the media days asking him about that. 
that would not be Jim Tressel. <laughs> oh, I mean, Urban Meyer. Darn it. <laughs> I, I love it. You're acting like me, man. I'm the old man that's supposed to do that. <laughs> oh, God. I'm stuck in the uh, past. Yes, you are. Uh, but, you no, know, you're exactly right. And, and it's interesting. I don't know if that was by design that they did that announcement when they did. But, but I, I wouldn't uh, put it past Urban Meyer because he's such a detailed guy that he didn't actually contemplate when would be the best time for us to release this information, knowing that he's probably had a series of discussions with, with Braxton about you know, how we could best deal with this three-quarterback situation. And I think he's been probably in Braxton's ear a little bit, talking with him about, Braxton, here's your future. And going into the NFL, your best chance to have a, that advanced football career is likely to be in some kind of an H-back wide receiver type of role where we use your athleticism and maybe occasionally let you play quarterback you know, as part of a package, but you're not going to be a every down quarterback. You, we've got enough data already on him in the years that he did play regularly to suggest that he had a long way to go before he was going to be the consistent, accurate thrower that would be required of an NFL quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and uh, and was isn't it also part of this whole situation that uh, Braxton just hasn't recovered from his injury? Like, his arm isn't quite uh, what it's, what it's well, supposed think, to be. Right, and I, I think there's probably some truth to that. I don't know how much of that was you know, really formally publicized or whatever, but, but certainly there's some speculation about that. And so it just makes a lot of sense. And I think uh, releasing this information a week or so before these media days actually makes a lot of sense if, if you're Ohio State and your objective is to maximize the amount of time that Ohio State stays front and center in the news because he, he was able to garner some significant headlines and conversation in the days leading up to the Big Ten media days and then you know it's going to be a consuming subject for that one day event when ohio state's there the day that they're there mm-hmm. so yeah. it's pretty genius from a marketing standpoint frankly yeah well and uh just in terms of what that does for ohio state i think it's actually a, a very much a good thing because now that limits the quarterback battle to just the two quarterbacks which w- it will still be a close race as it is and it gives them an extra offensive weapon if Braxton can, uh, you know, use his athleticism as a good H-back. Right. Oh, man, I, I agree. I, I mean, if we get this to talking about on the field, I think, uh, you know, Urban has, has managed this just perfectly, especially if Braxton is fully on board with this, because I think it could make defending Ohio State even that much more difficult. I mean, the, the, the risks that you will have to respect – because of what Braxton can do, both as an athlete and, frankly, as a thrower. Uh, you, you need to respect the possibility that when they do one of those fly sweeps or they bring him in motion or they put him in some kind of a you know, slot position behind the tight end or something like that uh, in the slot, man, you're going to have to worry about all the things that that guy might be able to do, whether it's just a quick drop back and get a quick uh, you know, double pass type of thing or whether it's a, you know, a sweeping action, and then he throws the ball off the sweep, 
or he just runs it because he's such a great runner. You know, yeah. you got to defend both of those as a defense. It's brutal. Yeah, yeah. smart. Um, yep. What is uh, what are the other roster updates you want to talk about in terms of the Big Ten? Well, you know, it's interesting. I know that a lot of the teams probably have roster updates. You know, different players that are coming and going, and and I don't really have that laundry list of of ones. Certainly, the Braxton Miller one is the one that that has gotten a lot of national uh, attention and and Big Ten attention. I would suggest that there's probably one other one that also has gotten some significant attention, and that's uh, within the Big Ten West. Probably one of the better recruits from last year's recruiting class for Wisconsin did not gain entry into the school. Now, uh, this may require a little bit of an explanation in that it is it is a circumstance where the the young man has qualified according to NCAA standards, but did not qualify according to the University of Wisconsin's entrance exam uh, standards or entrance entrance requirements. And what that really means is that Wisconsin, some schools, including a lot of prominent schools, you know, that are very highly regarded academically, um, make or provide a certain number of exceptions for student athletes mm-hmm. so as to help those schools you know compete for those premier athletes who maybe have come from an area or a school system that didn't prepare them as well as others might have and so they kind of cut them a break a little bit they still have to meet a, a, some kind of basic standard but but it might be a little easier to get in than say the uh, Joe Blow student that's just trying to get it into the school well I my sense is is that Wisconsin's willingness to to accommodate that is less than average, and they're already one of the premier academic institutions in the country. I, I, I'll throw a, a barb in that, that that is my alma mater. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> um, they they weren't uh, willing to uh, concede that, I guess, in the case of this Jordan Stevenson, who is a four-star running back, one of the top. 25 or 30 running backs in the country, depending on who you talk to. Uh, certainly a guy that, you know, when you, when you watch his film, he, he reminds me of a, uh, a young Amir Abdullah in terms of his physical uh, size. Not as good, not as dynamic of a shifty runner, but very compact, very powerful, good balance, and seems to have pretty darn good speed, probably faster if I were to look at his uh, video, uh, you know, it's a little hard to tell sometimes with the kind of competition that they're playing against, but, but he was playing in Texas, and, and so usually there's some good athletes going in that, in that direction down there. So, so it'll be interesting to see what happens with him. So he's an interest for us because there's a potential Nebraska element here where Jordan has expressed some interest in Nebraska as a new uh, landing spot now that Wisconsin's not an option for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this would make for a big, uh, a big find for Nebraska. You know, for our recruiting and a, a bonus that I think would help uh, the fans' confidence in Riley certainly. Right. Well, and it's just it's just interesting that the you know those kind of circumstances don't happen very often, and it points to really. The, the issue that we probably want to address at some point doesn't have to be on today's podcast, but it's just one of those things for us to put on our list 
is, you know, this whole process with the clearinghouse and the decisions being made by these institutions, it just seems unfair, frankly, that a student athlete waits all the way until this moment in time for them to get their their judgment, so to speak, of whether or not they are going to get in. Now, I will concede that in all likelihood, I don't know any of the details of Jordan's situation, but in all likelihood, he was probably taking a class this summer, you know, to make himself eligible. Mm-hmm. And uh, and maybe the he needed to get a certain grade on that, on that not just a passing grade, but a certain grade on that uh, to get the kind of GPA that would have allowed him in to Wisconsin. He was already, uh, um, you know, had made the grade for the NCAA's minimum standards to be able to be eligible, but not Wisconsin standards. So the, the question is about the timing. The question is, what can we do to make sure these kids don't get stuck in a situation like he's in where he literally has about three choices. Either he can choose from one of the schools that uh, is willing to extend him an offer uh, right now and has an available scholarship to give him right now. He could go the route uh, of junior college and he'd be immediately eligible at a junior college, or he could simply wait, wait it out, go through the full recruiting process again, maybe take a couple of classes at a community college there in uh, you know his hometown or region, and then you know, come somewhere in December and be a December grad. I mean, uh, be like a December high school grad and, you know, sign and come in for the next spring. And so, but regardless, it kind of messes with that kid's life. Yeah, I can say as somebody who, you know, went through the college process not so long ago, that would definitely suck to get this far into the summer to have to totally rethink your plans in terms of college. Right. I mean, he's got two weeks. Yeah, that that would be rough. Um, And finally, let's move on to the Nebraska topics we wanted to talk about today. Um, You said that there was a roster update on Nebraska's side that was interesting as well, right? Yes. Well, there is a a number of players that, you know, have been announced over these last couple of weeks with guys leaving the the program, uh, no longer with the team, a couple of wide receivers, uh, Kevin Gladney, and uh, probably the biggest one is uh, earlier in the summer was David Santos, who has been a starter for us in the past and seen a lot of snaps at a position of great need. I mean, we just don't have very many linebackers on our roster. And here we go losing a guy like that. And that's really going to affect our depth uh, going into the season. And so, uh, again, Nebraska finds themselves uh, below the, the 85 scholarship limit uh, by a number of scholarships prior to the season beginning. Now, I will concede that I think already the new coaching staff recognizes the mistake of that of that recent history that was going on with, with Bo Pelini and his staff where we would regularly start the season sometimes, you know, six, eight players short of a full scholarship roster, and then we would be giving away, you know, not the one, two, or even three scholarships to you know, deserving walk-ons, but we would end up finding ourselves with like eight. And when you're doing that, you're not putting uh, the best foot forward in terms of trying to maximize the talent on your roster. That's just poor roster management on the part of what uh, our previous coaching staff was doing. And so I think I've already seen improvement from this current coaching staff. But uh, again, there's so much you can't predict about what's going to happen with young people 
you know, over the course of the summer. Probably the biggest news that that's starting to percolate right now is, you know, there's no one's really heard uh, 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 from Riker Fife, who was last year's backup quarterback for us, and he apparently is not with the team this summer. Um, and there is a great deal of speculation, although I don't know that it's anything official yet, that he is not likely to be with the team come the fall. And that, to me, is really significant because he was really the only quarterback who saw any legitimate action other than Tommy Armstrong, you know, last season. Yeah, well, that that is a little worrying if that's true because that means we've lost uh, Fife and Johnny Stan within the course of, you know, a couple months. Right. Well, and that's the thing is that, you know, Riker was a guy who was a walk-on, uh, got put on scholarship somewhat because he had risen to that, that level of contributor. and uh, But then after fall, I mean, excuse me, after spring practice, you know, found himself probably sitting at, at, at best third and probably fourth on the depth chart behind, you know, the, the surging A.J. Bush and, and uh, the uh, young Darlington kid. And all of a sudden, um, you know, he, he was uh, looking at, number one, not being able to maintain that scholarship and and uh, looking up to the, at these younger guys mm-hmm yep well it's the situation you see repeat itself over and over again it's just the reality it, it it is a reality and and we'll talk a little bit more about this this could be a little bit of a teaser for a future episode where we talk a little bit about roster management and oversigning and and how far do you go with that to make sure that as a team you don't find yourself in that situation it, and because there's some there's certainly some some techniques that are being used by other schools that that frankly is one of the reasons why you know the, our tradition of the walk-on program is not as big of an advantage for us as it as it maybe once was there's a variety of reasons maybe why that's true but but certainly one of them include is included in this uh, whole idea of roster management mm-hmm and then the last topic you have written down here on our little schedule is reality check. And I'm a little curious what, uh, what you meant by that. For well, you know, I, I, I just touched on a little bit when, when you start hearing, you know, the, the, the departures that were not necessarily anticipated back when, uh, um, oh, what do I want to say? Back, back after spring practice, you know, we didn't know that David Santos wasn't going to be there. And that Kevin Gladney and some of the wide receivers were going to be gone, uh, you know, when when you begin to look at all of those things, and you look at some of the positions that we think we're even going to be good at, uh, I, I feel like Nebraska fans uh, are are being a little bit too optimistic, frankly. And so my message to my fellow Husker fans is to take a step back and let's let's look at the reality of the situation. There's certainly a scenario, and it seems to be what is a prevailing uh, view right now, that, that people are so excited with this new coaching staff because of the professionalism that they've shown and just how well they've managed social media and some of those kinds of techniques that, that this, these are clearly people who know what they're doing. And that's true. Uh, I mean, I think that's a good observation, and, I, and I'm excited about it as well. But, but as I look at this roster uh, the, the ridiculously thin status of our linebackers, linebackers is, is a huge concern. The, the lack of, of clear uh, maturity and performance uh, at the quarterback position, which is so central 
to whether a team's going to be effective or not in college football uh, is a big concern. Uh, we have a number of new offensive linemen that we're optimistic about, but ha- haven't necessarily played a ton of starting type snaps. And so you begin to break down our team into those individual groups. And there's an awful lot of optimism. For example, everybody seems to be very high on what uh, uh, DeMornay Pearsonell is going to do. And they're very high on Malik Collins, our, our defensive tackle, and to a, a slightly lesser extent, Vincent Valentine. And although all three of those players, I believe, are going to be very good, solid players, I think that their expectations, or I should say the Nebraska fans and media's expectations of what those players are going to do is too high. And I, I, so my, my reality check is everybody's all geeked about Malik Collins being this you know, superstar. And I'm here to tell you, after re-watching a lot of the films from last year, I see glimpses of him having individual periods of play where he played at a very high level. But I also see a, a, a considerable number of plays in which he did not use good technique when it, when it was clear that either his uh, conditioning or his technique simply was not consistent enough to be a down, uh, every down type of player difference maker. You know, he, he certainly had his flashes, and I, I believe he's going to be a great player but I worry that we're putting a little too much expectation on him. Similarly, with uh, DeMornay Pearsonell, you know, he's done some great things, great punt returner, clearly has some good vision, but when he starts becoming the focus of defense's attention because there's no longer a Kenny Bell who's stretching the defense that they have to respect, unless we get somebody to emerge in that Kenny Bell role, I think DeMornay Pearsonell is going to get swallowed up. He's a tiny guy. He's, he's a guy that can easily get uh, physical and muscled all, uh, around during the course of a game. I just think that it's going to be very, very difficult for him to match the kind of open field success that he had this year because he doesn't have a Kenny Bell on the other side. There, I said a lot. <laughs> Go from it from there, pal. Yeah, well, it's interesting because oftentimes you and I are here, you know, uh, trying to tell Nebraska fans, like, that the sky isn't falling, you know, with, like, some of the decisions Riley makes and stuff, you know, that we're being too, like, pessimistic and, like, the, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of thing. Uh, But here we're being a little bit of the opposite, more of the, you know, calm down guys. Maybe we're not quite as good as you all are hyping us up to be. Well, right. And and, uh, bottom line is is if, if we have an unusually healthy year, in which we have very few injuries at key spots like linebacker and defensive tackle and within certain areas of the offensive line, uh, then we're going to be fine and maybe have a great year. But uh, when you look at the combination of uh, 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 one of the more challenging non-conference schedules that we've had in recent years, combined with you know all the question marks that the team has, and then you add on that, that we have a whole new coaching staff and an offensive philosophy that frankly remains for the most part under wraps because what we saw in the spring game was, was very vanilla and generic. We know kind of what they've said, you know, but we don't know for sure what that's going to be. You know, all those question marks, I think, I think Nebraska fans, you know, they're very quick to point to Melvin Gordon's departure from Wisconsin and them having a new coaching staff as reasons why, Wisconsin should take a step back 
but then we don't assign ourselves that same, you know, cautionary uh, step back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Well, because like we talked about on last podcast, you know, when Bo came in, he got us to a nine-win year, you know, his first year, you know, so that's like the expectation. Right. Uh, well, and, and part of that has been, you know, the 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 games or the schedules that have been, uh, you know, on the docket, so to speak, during those years have really been on the easier side of things, frankly. And this year is the last year of that, that period, frankly. And so it is important that we come out of the gates good this year with the Mike Riley era, because if you look at future schedules, they don't get easier. They get a lot tougher. And so this is the year to make hay with a, with a good record that helps lead us to hopefully a you know top 25, maybe even a top 20 finish in recruiting, which will be tough, but, but I'm still uh, hopeful because we're going to need that kind of infusion of talent to kind of hang with the big boys in these next few years because right around the corner we're going to have some uh, non-conference schedules combined with conference schedules that are way tougher than what we've been seeing. Mm-hmm. All right. Stuff to be looking looking into as Husker fans, it seems like. That's right. I'd be curious to hear what anybody out there who might be listening to our podcast would have to say about that. Do they think I'm being overly pessimistic? Or, and, and maybe they have a way to respond to that. Or maybe they agree with my uh, you know, uh, tepid view of some of these individual players who are being hyped. Uh, maybe they share my view and can add some additional insight. All right. Well, if you people out there want to uh, send us those sorts of emails, you can uh, leave a comment on footballthrowdown.podomatic.com, which is where we put up the episodes, or leave a comment on our iTunes page. We also have an email at huskerpeat13 at gmail.com. We'd always like to hear from you guys. You know, any comments, constructive criticism, always appreciated. So I want to thank you for co-hosting this podcast with me, Dad. I think we got into some good discussion about what's been going on in the sport recently. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's do it again soon. That's right. All right. And we'll see you later, college football fans. Mm-hmm.